The following is a recording from ACF Church in Eagle River, Alaska. If you would like to join us on a Sunday morning, we would love to have you be our guest. Service times are 9 and 11 a.m. We hope you'd consider partnering in the work God is doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you would like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can safely give by texting a donation amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's Word. Good morning, church. I am not Pastor Brian. Pastor B is actually down, enjoying big sky country with his family, uh, enjoying a bit of a vacation. We did, however, last week um, get to enjoy week one of Fish On, which is by far my personal favorite name of any sermon series we've ever done. I'm a very avid fisherman, uh, so anytime I can get up here and listen to a fishing report and think about standing in a river or standing on a boat, I'm a happy, happy guy. Uh, Brandon did mention something about fish don't bite on Sundays. There's actually something to that. Last Sunday, my father and I, we kind of played hooky. My dad was up, and we went down to Whittier. Beautiful flat water day, sunny. Doesn't happen in Whittier often, and we, this is it. We couldn't catch a fish over 30 inches. It was horrible. Um, so, you know, for what it is. I am Jared. I am currently a pastor with the CMA. I was licensed uh, on April 20th. Yay, after about a two-year journey, and uh, it was pretty neat. I got to fly down to Portland, where I did an interview, and um, the interview was pretty pretty cut and dry. It was what I would expect it to be. There was some theological stuff, um, a little bit of the church, the, the polity as far as the CMA is involved, and then also this kind of a constructive criticism at the end. Um, Theology, kind of what I expected. I got told that I could probably touch up on a couple things here and there, you know, dig a little deeper into eschatology. And uh, the, the polity is pretty, pretty simple. The CMA is a very well-founded uh, organization. That's the church we're in. We are a part of that denomination. The part that kind of caught me off guard and the part that I really wasn't all that accepting or really just ready for at that moment was that constructive criticism, you know, that, that we love you, but you did this wrong moment at the end. And um, it really kind of came from three different aspects of it. One of them was the interviewers. One of the interviewers was a dear friend of mine, uh, a mentor, if you will, somebody that's walked me through this process of uh, learning and preaching and studying. And the other one uh, was perhaps one of the most attentive women I've ever met in my life. She just, everything you say, she just had that ability to pick up. Her name's Lisa. Um, The third part of the interview, which I didn't really expect, was I had to have people write letters and say, yeah, I'm not completely lost, or uh, my theology is only kind of off. Um, and, and all three of them put the same idea into paper and into my head and then ultimately into words, and it was that I lacked confidence. Um, they were right. It was so noticeable during the interview that Lisa, this lovely lady that she is, uh, really just kind of stabbed it right in my side. And she asked me if I even knew what confidence and concise meant. Um, I just sat down and I kind of verbally exploded my theology at her for almost three hours. And she's like, do you kind of understand what you're saying? Um, and she was right. I, I, I come from a background of being very timid. Um, I, despite what you may believe, I am very much an introvert. Um, growing up, I didn't invite a lot of people into my lives. Uh, I've never asked a female for their phone number. Tell me how awkward that is going through high school and not being able to do that. Um, 
the end of the interview really just kind of wrapped up like you would expect. Uh, we laughed. We cried. I'm a crier. I'll probably cry today, I warn you. Uh, the other part of that is, you know, we prayed and, and what you would expect. We got to the point where, you know, you read that message. You read that, that Hebrews 13, 17, that part where, welcome to being a new pastor, and by the way, you now are responsible to keep watch. And, you know, that, that threatening piece of being a pastor isn't this passive thing, that it is now an active part of being, being here, being in the mission of God. And instead, um, what kind of threw me off, is she read 2 Timothy 1.7. Um, was not expecting that at all. And when she said the past, I was like, I don't, I don't get it. Why are you going to read it? And then she read it, and it says, For God gave us a spirit not for fear, okay, I'm understanding, but of power, and love and self-control. I honestly, you guys, I kind of walked out of that interview and uh, I not really give it a second thought. I I'd really just felt like I had the weight of the world lifted off my shoulders. I mean, all this preparation and time and prayer and, and dealing with family and life and work, and uh, it was all done. Like, I felt like I just walked through this door and none of it really mattered from behind me. And I just pushed that, uh, that verse or that, that criticism. I really just pushed it back, and I just kind of left it alone. Thing is, is God started to do what he always does to me, and probably some of you. And as I, I continued on in life, and a couple of weeks go by, and I, I start uh, digging into... Um, more of the personal studies that I wanted to dig into, and I wasn't studying anymore to be uh, to go through this this interview. God really just started to point out to me that 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 timidity, that lack of confidence, that that inability to boldly proclaim the faith. I wasn't alone. I, I wasn't I wasn't doing this on my own, and I and it wasn't just that I wasn't alone, but I, I really thought that it wasn't affecting my mission, that it, that it wasn't affecting the way that I could preach, that it wasn't affecting the way that I could just love the people around me. Um, I was wrong. And, and the problem was, is it was like, it was like when you go buy a new car, right? So you, you, you got a pile of cash, you go down to the dealership, and we've all bought a car, and you buy the only lifted red Ford F-350 with a big stack and the monster tires, and you're driving this thing off the lot, and you look around and all of a sudden it's everywhere. That's really how glaring this, this problem came to me. It was like this, it went from like this little pinpoint in my eye, that little thorn in my own side, to all of a sudden I saw it everywhere. I didn't just see it in my friends or my Bible study or my life group. I started to realize that it was here that it's in almost every church, and that it's spread throughout Christianity. And then I started to think, well, what is this doing? What, what really is the problem that this is bringing up? And I kind of need to stop here, and I need to tell you guys, I don't believe in the idea of a coincidence. I, I think it's a little verbally insulting for a Christian to say that, ah, things just happen to happen. Um, so when we were sitting down talking about uh, what sermon I was going to preach, and Brian was going on vacation, and and uh, I got my day, and we have sermon series and topics written out till about October. So I knew. I knew the topic, and I felt really good about it. I was like, yeah, I just walked through this. I have a book full of these biblical juggernauts from Noah with his faith and Peter being crucified upside down. Like, I have this endless list of people that I can just get up here. I can verbally spew out. And honestly, it would probably make a pretty good sermon. The problem is, is my process when I walk into a sermon is 
is a huge part of it, is what is the Spirit saying? What is God really just laying on my heart to talk to you about? And that wasn't it. God wasn't telling me that I need to get up here and theologically exegete or just tear apart this little piece of the Bible because it was such an insignificant portion that all I got is this one example. The reality is, is our beautiful book, the words of God, the, the spoken breath is full of examples. It's from one page to the other of people that, that stepped out, the people that were willing to just grasp, hold on, and they didn't really care about the end result because they knew they were doing what God wanted them to do. So that's where we are today. Today, we are going to talk about getting into the water. Um, not the easiest topic, right? It's a call to, call to action. It's, it's, um, it's that chance where I get to stand up here and I get to tell you guys that, uh, that everything we do is beautiful and it has value, but some of it, we don't do it right. Um, that sometimes we, we grasp and hold on to things that we probably shouldn't. Um, anyway, so let's start with prayer. I mean, that's, that's what led me here. Um, and I think that that's what should lead us into worshiping God. And so if you would, would you bow your heads with me? Father, I pray, Lord, I pray for your words. Uh, Lord, I, I pray for an understanding of your words. Um, and I pray, um, Lord, I just pray that you'll be here today and that you'll fill the room uh, with, with your presence. And Father, I pray um, that you'll just let me show that, that reflection of you. Um, God, it's not perfect, but it's, it's what I know. Amen. So we are going to be jumping around today in the Bible. Like I said, I'm not going to just stick to one passage and just exegete it out. I am jumping a lot. So if you are going to try to keep up, we're going to go through Philippians. There's a little bit of Luke, a little bit of Matthew. If I'm feeling spunky at the end, we might dig into a little Ephesians. Um, if you do not have a Bible underneath the seat in front of you or the seat next to the seat in front of you, there is a Bible. Grab it, open it, write your name in it, and take it home. Read the book of John. It's kind of beautiful. Um, it, just dig into the Word. So when I, I started thinking about getting into the water, um, when I was a kid, I used to enjoy, I'm from California, hot summer nights, and we would go out to this little reservoir called Lake Del Val. It's not very big. Um, honestly, kind of murky. Not a lot of people go up there. If you go out there during the day, there's a couple guys fishing. Um, we would go at night. I had a pretty close-knit of friends, just a real solid group of friends, like I said. I was an introvert, so I didn't spear out and just become the super popular guy. Um, and we would always jump in my old Nissan, and we would drive. And it's about a 40-minute drive. And, and as we were driving out there... You know, you're excited, you're telling stories, you're bringing up the events that you've been to, maybe some of the people in the car haven't been, you know, you start telling horror stories, the typical banter that, that teenagers have. Um, you turn down on that little dirt road that would drop the 500 feet into the valley, and, and uh, something happened, your palms would get a little sweaty, your heart would start beating a little bit faster, the car would become silent, like that awkward silent that nobody really wants to be in. You get out of the car. You jump in the water, and in California, the, the water is warm, and it's inviting, and it's embracing. And so you, as soon as you hit that water, you, you kind of knew that you were doing what you were supposed to do. Um, you were comfortable. It was, you, you would build that confidence in it. 
I bring that up because I find discipling, that big D word, discipling, um, to be the same way. As we're early Christians and as we're learning about the grace and love of Christ, it's exciting. It's powerful. We get that, that, that picture, that image of the heart of stone removed and this heart of flesh given to us, right? We, we have this life-changing event. It's a beautiful thing. And, and we, we dive in and we pour in and we study the Word, and then something happens. You know, we get a coworker, we get a friend. We start seeing the people around us, our loved ones, that we go, ah, you just, if you only knew. If you, if, you, if you could just taste it, right? And so it's our call, it's our mission, right? We're, we're the church. We're supposed to then disciple into them. We're, we're supposed to pour into them. And it's awkward. Discipling, it's painful. And, and so sometimes we kind of skirt around it. Um, if you would have asked me a year ago where I felt the most comfortable and close and the place where I coveted the most and where I felt the most connected to God, I would have told you that it was 10 miles offshore where I couldn't see either coast. I was wrong. What I was finding in that place, and, and it's a place that I spent a lot of time, is I was finding a place that I could recharge my batteries, which is a beautiful thing, and Jesus did it, right? He went across the river to, to find some solitude, and often we forget that when he got to the other side and he finds a group of people, he doesn't turn his boat around and go back out to the middle of the lake, right? He, he instead goes, sweet, what an opportunity. And you know, well, they look hungry, let's feed them. We, we need to do that. We, we have to pull our boat up on shore. And I will promise you that as I found recently, um, that's when I feel the most connected to God. That's when I feel that warmth, that embrace is when I'm in his will, when I'm doing what God has designed me as a person to do, and that's to love him and then to love others, to invite people into his world. Some of us are very, very good at that. There are people in this room that can scream Jesus' name from the mountaintops, and it is amazing. I have a daughter that uh, for her birthday went horseback riding, and it was just her, my wife, and this little 16-year-old girl riding a horse up the mountainside. And, and, and my daughter is one of those people that has that ability to, has no public biblical filter whatsoever. She's just able to verbally accost people with God, and it's a beautiful thing. And this, this poor little 16-year-old girl, as she's riding up the side of this hill, my daughter, who's behind her, goes, hey, you know Jesus? I mean, it, the, that it had to be the most awkward thing for this poor little thing to hear. But at the same time, it was my daughter's way of, of just showing that love of Christ. She was able to just verbally blurt out the gospel. She, she was able to just send out this message. And ladies and gentlemen, that's not me. I, like I said, I'm an introvert. I struggle with, uh, with the idea of a bullhorn and a sign. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying that that's not a place where I'm comfortable. I struggle with the... Even being the one at work that just comes in and be like, hey, so I know Jesus, how y'all doing? Um, I, I tend to be more of the person that will sit down with you. Um, I'm, I'm more likely to share the gospel with you over a cup of coffee or with a fishing pole. I, I will invite you, friend or not friend, into my world. Um, my world's not perfect, quite honestly. It's kind of dirty and it's kind of ugly, but uh, it's real. And um, I, I will be the one that will sit down and walk with you through some pretty hard stuff. And, and that's just the way God created me. 
The thing is, we need both. We need people that are willing to scream from the mountaintops the name of Christ. And we need people that are going to be willing to hold on and love one another. All too often we got caught up in this, this, this fear and we let those doubts creep in and, and we become stagnant in our walk with Christ. We become stagnant with our discipleship. That brings us to our first point, is that we need to become uncomfortable. Thing is, the gospel, when we share it, it will result in pain, rejection, unacceptance, persecution. These are all fun words, right? They're all promised to us in the Bible. And these are the things that God says that, that we should just expect. And not only should we expect it, but it's something that we should actually bring in. We should invite it. But what we do instead, typically, is we hold tightly onto our faith and our dogmatic practices, and we think that God exists only in this box, in this room, and on this day. Sunday afternoon, we go home, and we go right back into what it is that we want to do, our worldly lives. God says that we should bring him everywhere. There's about 75 verses in the Bible that scream to this. We're going to dig through three. It'll be really quick. Uh, first one is Matthew 5, 44, and it says, Pray for those who persecute you. Second one is 1 Peter three seventeen. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that is the will of God. Matthew five ten, and this is my favorite one, by the way. Uh, it says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. Not that part, this part. Uh, and it says, um, For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All 75 of those verses really come to the same conclusion. And that's that not only should we expect to suffer, should we expect persecution, should we expect to have a little uncomfortable nature with our walk with Christ, but that we should live in it. That we should not only know that that's coming, but that uh, maybe for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Right? I mean, that, that we, should, we should enjoy it, that we should invite it. The bottom line is that our happiness and safety shouldn't come from a stagnant checkbox faith. That's a hard thing to hear. It's even harder to say, coming from somebody like me, that at one time I lived there. I, I was that person that that was what I thought God was. I came to church on Sunday, and I went home, and I was the same person I was. You guys, I was missing the whole idea. And that was that God wanted us to share him with others. I don't, I don't pretend to have this endless knowledge of God. There are brilliant people in this room that, that I joke with and gesture to all the time. Um, I don't have that knowledge of Solomon. I don't want it. Um, but I do know, because I do read his word, that God wants us to share him with the world. That's a big thing. God asks us to just divulge his nature to people around us. Matthew 28, 19 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. You guys, he knew it would be painful. God's smart enough to know that. He knew it would be hard. He knew that we would get discouraged in our daily lives, that we would get like preoccupied with things. But he did something, and he continues to do something, and that's that he had faith in us. He had enough faith in humanity to know 
that we would ultimately do what he asked. Like that, that's, he, he knew that we would, we would dive into this thing called faith and religion. Um, he also didn't leave us alone. Acts 1.8, this is right before his ascension. This is one of the last things he did is he promises us the Holy Spirit. He promises this helper, this, this guide, this, this little voice in our ear that's going to talk to us and tell us to share the gospel. Not so we can sit back. Not so we can be comfortable. He didn't do this so we could, we could sit in our homes and, and just know that we have this precious gift. He did it as a, as a way to allow us to step out and to speak to others. If we, if we look at Acts and we look at this early church, this great example that's become this, um, this like demand recently in Christianity, everybody wants an Acts church. We, we look at a church that went from 12 people to nearly 50,000 and continued based on a bunch of people that didn't believe in stagnancy. They didn't believe that God was here and should stay here. They believed that every single person they talked to should be given the gospel. Going back to the interview, I said that I cried. Yeah, I'm a crier. I'm okay with that. Um, a lady that was there, it wasn't Lisa, it was a dear friend of mine, she actually said that I wept. Um, I think that's a bit extreme. She was probably correct in her, uh, in her words. Um, it was actually kind of in the middle of the interview. It was during the theological section. And uh, it, it, it was a pretty simple question. The question came up that, you know, how does a person receive salvation? Right? And, I, and I did what any uh, inspiring pastor would do to that question. Right? I, I skirted right around it, and then I went into my own little basic theological assumption, which is incredibly wrong. And uh, I, got, I got called to the table. One of the interviewers goes, what are you doing? You know the answer. And, and I do. I know John 14.6. 14, you know, I, I know that Jesus is the way, the life, and the truth, and that nobody comes to the Father except through the Son. I understand that. And I knew that then, and I just couldn't get it out. The problem was, is I also, I also understood the other side of that, that if he is the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through the Son, I understood that, that my family, they didn't know Jesus. I told you, I cry. Uh, when I was seven, right, my, my world was rocked. We had a, a death in the family. I lost my mom. Um, and I watched my dad go from uh, a kind of believer, um, not the spiritual leader of our household, into a very, um, into a pretty dark place. I, I watched my sister, who was four years older than me. I watched her just kind of indulge in everything that felt good, everything that was deserved to her. She just sucked it in. Um, I did what any seven-year-old would do. I uh, said, okay, you know, I'm seven. I don't know any difference. And uh, I got mad. I got angry. I, I, I punished my dad, punished my sister. I punished my stepmom. Ultimately, I punished my stepsisters. You guys, later on in life, I even punished my wife because of what I thought was the acceptable thing to way to treat people. I, I thought that, that my anger um, and, and my, my lack of, of self-understanding was God's fault. Um, see, I knew God as a kid. I could say at seven years old, I could probably explain to you the crucifixion. Not only that, I could explain to you the death and the resurrection and what it meant. It's seven. I grew up in, in a little, little church, 
um, with those messages just being beat into me. And so I, I knew what God was. I knew who he was. Um, and so I assumed that this almighty, all-controlling deity, uh, that he, he plucked my mom out of my life. Um, the reality, my mom, she made really poor life choices, and uh, ultimately it cost her her life. Um, what I refused to see as a child, and something that I've learned to accept now, is that God was incredibly gracious in the whole process. See, she should have died at my birth. I, I should have never known my mom. Instead, I was given eight beautiful years. My dad, who I was mad at, that I blamed everything on, um, he did the best that he could. He, he, he did what he thought he needed to do. My sister, who, uh, who I, I just basically uh, left alone, I was mad at her because I, she wasn't my sounding board. She wasn't there for me to allow me to, to grieve. Maybe she needed to grieve. <clears throat> so my, my family had this huge hiccup. And... Uh, and, and, I, and in the interview, that all just really hit me. And, and it, wasn't, it wasn't so much the loss or the anger or the guilt that was associated with it. It was that my family, they're pretty good people now. My dad, awesome grandparent. My sister, she goes by Tia. Um, there's nobody in my family... There's nobody in my family that can make my kids laugh like she does. This is what got me choked up in the interview. Guys, it didn't matter. Good people or not, without knowing Jesus, they have one end result. Whether we want to admit it or not, we all have an eternity. We all have... Um, an end goal, right? And uh, my eternity, I get to spend it at the foot of God. That's beautiful. Theirs? Theirs is a lot darker. Um, and uh, I, I as a man, as a Christian, as somebody that was stepping into faith and trying to become a pastor because I felt that's where God was leading me, I wasn't sharing that with them. I had refused, not even knowing it, but I had refused to share the love of Christ with my family. I had uh, I'd refused to get messy. That's what we are. That's number two. Is that we need to get messy. After all, Jesus, right? That reflection that we're supposed to be, that image that I wasn't showing my family, he made a life of it. Jesus, he held a leper, right? The, the un, most unclean of the unclean. He, uh, he sat at a table and broke bread with sinners and tax collectors, the hated of the people. He protected a convicted woman sentenced to death by challenging the people around him. What an awesome example. He, uh, he didn't do that to fulfill a prophecy. He didn't live his life reflecting that image because somebody 
5,000 years before him said that this is what needs to happen for people to know he's the Messiah. It's the other way around. God told the prophets that the Messiah, that this person would come, and that he was so beautiful. And even then, it was so unbelievable that they had to write it down. See, Jesus, he made a life out of protecting these people, and it wasn't because he was supposed to. He did it because he loved the lost. He did it because he truly believes in the least of these. He made a life out of getting messy up to the point of suffering. Suffering from hunger. He was persecuted, ultimately crucified. And he did that because and for the lost. I'm going to read a little verse out of Luke. Um, it's the words of Jesus. It's, it's one of my favorite parables. Uh, it's, it's a little... It's a little childish, I know. Bear with me. What I want you to do is I want you to just put yourself in this parable. I want you to put yourself in it and figure out what character it is. We all pick a character as we're studying the Bible, right? The person that we connect to the most. Um, This parable comes from Luke 15. It's right in the beginning, and it starts with, Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives, this man loves and accepts sinners and he eats with them. So he told them a parable, saying, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture to go after the one which was lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders. He picks it up and supports it, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you, I have. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. So, where'd you place yourself? That's like the million-dollar question. Um, if you're still trying to figure out this crazy thing called faith, and you're you're leaning into God, uh, you're the sheep, man. It's a beautiful thing because you have this, this, this man, this, this, this deity called Jesus that came down and gave himself for you, and he is there to pick you up and carry you home. Um, I'm not going to do the, the typical I'm sorry for everything the church has done. I, I don't think that's appropriate. I think it's kind of shallow for a pastor, honestly, to get up here and be like, oh, the church is wrong with you, and I'm sorry. I can only apologize for what I've done. If you've ever seen me be judgmental, if you've ever seen me be angry, um, maybe, maybe you've even seen me be a little bigotry. I don't know. I'm not perfect. I don't recall those moments, but, but I don't recall a lot of my life, let's be honest. Um, I, I'm, I'm truly sorry if I've ever shown you uh, any reflection other than Jesus. It's one we're supposed to give. Um, but at times... Man, we stink at it, right? For the rest of you, um, for those of us who know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, guess what? You're the Pharisee. No, you're not shepherd. Um, that's God. The, the shepherd is an example of what we're supposed to be. Um, and instead, we, we get thrown into this, this, this lump sum or this lump example of, of, of what God is truly saying you're doing wrong. Um, he knew that the church then was being inappropriate, and he knows that the church now isn't doing it perfect either. Um, 
Jesus was calling out the church, and uh, this is hard to say, but you guys, the reason why the church is declining, I don't know if you know that, um, more churches close their door every day than open, the reason why the numbers are declining is because of its people. It's not because of God. Um, God gave us the ability to preach and teach. He gave us the helper to walk with. And uh, we, we still come here Sundays, and we refuse to show him outside these walls. As, as, as this hypocrisy, if you want to call it that, goes un, un, untouched, there's, it leaves a wake. And like all wakes, it has two parts, right? You, you have the, the simple side, which is an empty seat sitting next to you. It's, it's literally the lack of people coming to church. That's the simplest way to look at it. <clears throat> the other side, the other side is something that me and God argue about pretty regularly. And that's, that's the, as there's not people hearing the message, as there's not people hearing the gospel, there are more people spending an eternity in hell than ever before. There, there are less people that get to, to spend this joyous time at the foot of God because, you guys, because, because we're stagnant. Because we, we don't want to get to work. The image is going to pop up, and it's of the early church. Um, the, the image that they would have given you in the early church, right? It wasn't like Peter handing out a little flyer, welcome to Sunday, um, with an image of God on the cross. That wasn't about 580 years when that started showing up. It, it really wasn't a popular message to say that we crucified somebody and we're going to love him. Instead, what they did is they would show you this image um, of the sheep on his shoulders. They, they, they would show you this image of a shepherd. That one. It's kind of grainy. Um, it's from, I think, 32 AD. So it's, it's a pretty good picture, I think. Um, you guys, that's, that's the image that we need to reflect. We, we can't be Jesus. We can do this. We can reach and teach the people in our community pretty easily. We, we listened to Pastor Brian last week talk about gearing up. Like, we need to prepare for it, and that's true. But if we don't put it to action, what's the point? Let me ask you something, and this is, this is hard. When was the last time that, uh, that we broke bread with a homeless man? When was the last time somebody in here sat down and invited a homosexual into your house and prayed with them? When was the last time that um, you, you prayed for those that you hated? Those are hard, hard things. For some of you, those hated, we post those a lot. It's on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, right? It's your, it's your boss, it's the president, maybe it's your spouse. I've seen that. Um, maybe it's a Muslim. Maybe, maybe it's, it's the people of this world that we just don't want to accept for who they are. You guys, I'm not, I'm not trying to beat you up, I promise. I, I can say this because I can stand here comfortably and confidently and say that I have to say this prayer to myself almost daily because I have forgotten the least of these in my life. So I have to beg God to, to forcefully remind me. I don't ever want to get back in that place. I don't want to be in a place again to where I can turn my eye on somebody that needs Christ. So that leaves us to our, our final topic, and that's that we need to get involved. You guys, we need to put our faith into action. 
Um, I was listening to a sermon a while ago, and it wasn't his sermon, so he copyrighted it from somebody else, so I'm going to steal it from him. I'm okay with that. And he said, put yourself at like a 20 to 25-year-old young American, and, and you're coming out of high school or college or graduate school, and, and you get that little whisper in your ear, right? You get the Holy Spirit trying to tell you that there's something bigger than you are. What do you do? You start church shopping. That's what we all do. Except for you don't know Christians, so you start religion shopping. You, you go out, maybe you, you find a Hindu church. That's confusing. So you move on, and, and you find Buddhists. Buddhists love everybody. It's actually a pretty comfortable place. I've, I've been to a Buddhist temple. Um, maybe from there you go into a building like this, and you see a beautiful faith filled with people that, that have this claim to change of life, that they claim to have this heart change, but yet you see stagnancy. You, you don't see much action. Maybe from there you go into a Muslim church. Man, talk about action. I, I, I remember this particular pastor is talking about this. And mind you, he had 14,000 people that he preached to. Huge church. And he told them from the pulpit. And I found it appalling that he goes, I probably would have been a Muslim. They're always doing something. And, and what he was trying to tell them is it wasn't that he appreciated the, the Quran. What he was trying to tell them is that that as a young Christian, you're hungry. And as a young Christian, you're looking, you're, you're looking for that example. People want examples. People that don't know God and they're stepping in and they're trying to figure out this crazy thing we call faith, they thirst for knowledge. Ladies and gentlemen, the easiest way for us to show them knowledge is to disciple to them, is to just openly tell them, hey, I love God. Not perfect. God is perfect. I and nothing more than me. See, people are watching. They watch us come through these doors on Sunday. They watch us as we're driving down the street, and we have that ACF sticker in their car. I have one. Um, they, they watch us as we're at dinner, and they, they know, they recognize us, and they maybe see us pray before a meal. It's kind of awesome. Maybe they see us not pray before a meal. We have to remember that people are always watching us. It's not an issue of, of trying to make you uncomfortable. It's not telling you that you have to be perfect. You just have to be mindful, and you have to be respectful, and ultimately you have to do what God has asked us to do. We had a young lady. Uh, this is before the egg drop. I don't know if you realize I, all chronological time now is pre and post egg drop. It was kind of a big deal. Um, so this was pre-egg drop. And I walked outside, and uh, this young lady is sitting on, you know, the little brown wooden thing, and, and there's this dude sitting in front of her, and he's in a wheelchair. Uh, he is probably not showered in uh, three years. I could smell him from the entryway. Um, pretty cool guy. I actually know him. Uh, he goes by Doc. I accosted him the other day, asked if I could use his name. He said, sure. Um, and he is what I would call an urban survivalist. He's a homeless man. This guy chooses to, to live out of his chair. Not my choice. Um, it's his. But what I saw was a young lady sitting there, somebody that uh, actually would say that she is a different denomination. She's not a regular here. Um, but, man, she was loving on this man. She was engaged, holding his hand. They were talking. They were talking about faith and God and, and this crazy building and what we do. She was pouring herself into this man, um, not because she had anything to gain, but because she, at that moment, felt that that's what God wanted her to do. 
She was truly loving the least of these. Not because he's homeless or dirty, not because he prefers vodka to the Bible, but because he was a human being that didn't have salvation. Two things kind of came out of that. Um, I had a couple different conversations afterwards. One of them is a young man that uh, I talked to pretty regularly, a new believer who saw this, and he was just on fire. He's like, yeah, how do we do that? How do I, how do I become the person that engages? What do we do here at ACF? How do we, how do we just jump right in? And I, you know, I told him, I said, we have life groups, and we have a group that goes and feeds the homeless. We have people that pour out regularly. This church is filled with people that are in action. That was a very easy conversation to have. The other one, not so much. The other conversation was somebody literally asked me is, why is this man on our property? I, I, I don't know. Um, maybe he wants to hear the gospel. Um, it, was, it was really set me back. Uh, and the biggest thing is I had to ask myself, um, man, what Christian am I? In my current walk with Christ, where do I stand in this story? Because, I mean, I think that's kind of what these examples are, right? They're, they're goods and bads or positive negatives that we're supposed to take and feed off of and realize whether or not we're doing the right thing. And I had to ask myself, am I being that young lady, am I being her that is reflecting the love of Christ into this, this beautiful man? Or am I wondering why he's on my property? Paul tells us in Philippians 1.27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to see you or I am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and here I still have. You guys, if we reflect that image, if more of us would just slow down, take our time, and sit down and just love on the lost, this city would change. It couldn't not. It, this, the city would be on fire with Christ. And I promise you, if Eagle River changes, everything changes around it. It, it, When people slow down and just share the gospel, it's like a fire. It just spreads. The thing is, is you feel lonely. Um, Oftentimes when we share the gospel, we're ostracized from our friends, right? I got friends who won't talk to me anymore because I refuse not to tell them about God. Um, I'm okay with that. It's painful. And we, I need to say this, you will never stand alone in the light of Christ. Plain and simple. You can't. He won't let you. Um, but what we forget is that we're supposed to lean into him. And, and if we try to do this and lean on ourselves, we can't do it. Every one of us will fall. Um, Paul, this biblical juggernaut that he is. I mean, I love Paul. This guy went from the persecutor to the, I'll die for Jesus. Like, he, he went from one extreme to the other. Paul, he was shipwrecked three times. He floated at sea for 24 hours. He was in prison for two years without ever receiving trial. He was stoned and left for dead. He was beaten with the rod three times. He received 39 lashes five times. That's the punishment that Christ had before he was crucified. Um, quite possibly the harshest of all of these things, the man was bit by a viper. Um, that's the one that would freak me out the most. He was bit by a rattlesnake. He did all of these things 
spreading the gospel. Not one of these things happened to him because he was like, ah, Jesus isn't real. No, he accepted these punishments or these, these actions. Some of them he even invited because he knew that Jesus was it, that, that he was the way, the truth, and the light. Because he knew that he had a disciple. Paul, this biblical phenom, was still afraid. He, he, he still wrote this wonderful letter to Ephesus, one of my favorite books in the Bible. In Ephesians 6.19, he says, and it's a request for prayer, he goes, and also for me, he's asking for the people of Ephesus, the church of Ephesus, to pray for him because he's not there. And he says, the words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim that mystery of the gospel for which I am the ambassador in chains that I may declare boldly as I ought to speak. Paul, this man that had his eyes shut and ultimately reopened by, by Jesus Christ himself, had to get on his knees, and he requests people to pray for him. You guys, it, it doesn't make you weak. It doesn't make you timid. It doesn't, it doesn't make us meager when we, when we ask God for help. That's kind of the order of things. You know, we, we learn, we know we're supposed to share. We need to ask God to help us with that process, and then we need to boldly speak. We need to understand that God wants us to tell our friends about him. I'm not telling you to grab a bullhorn and stand on a corner. If God's calling you to do that, go for it. There's people here that'll join you. What I'm saying is, is that we need, we need to understand that in this world where we have nothing owed to us, there's nothing that we deserve. You guys, this, this mentality recently of, of that I'm just, you know, I'm supposed to have this, it's not reality. And yet we have this this deity, this God, this beautiful, beautiful friend of mine that says, well, let me give you everything. He, Paul, knew that it was our privilege to share that with people around us. Paul knew that it was our responsibility. Um, some of you are, are here saying that you're very good at that. And let me tell you, some of you are really good at that. Uh, you inspire me all the time. We have both men and women that lead life groups and prayer groups. And I have a friend of mine that I would call a friend that I would like to just fold him up and shove him in my pocket and pull him out anytime I need biblical knowledge. Like this guy can recite the Bible to me. It's awesome. Some of you are sitting here and go, I really am good at that. If you're not um, using the gift that God has given you, and you're, you're sitting back, I would ask, are you really in the will of God? Or are you just sitting there clean, comfortable, and stagnant? That brings us to the bottom of the page. That's, uh, we're done. Um, I'm done beating you up. There, there's two lines on the bottom of the page, and we're going to continue worshiping. We're uh, going to turn the lights down, play some music, and we're going to break bread and remember Jesus. And I would ask that you also pray. Um, I would ask that you, that you would pray that God that he would break your heart for what breaks his. Um, the other side of that is I would also ask that you, uh, that you can do this. You can request God to tell you something. It's okay. Ask him to show you how you can truly reach out to the lost. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for this time and this chance to share your word with your people. Lord, I thank you for opening my heart truly to what breaks yours. Lord, I, I ask that you take the, the lives of the people around us, Lord, and that you just allow them to, to just give your gospel away as freely as we received it. 
Lord, for the people here that don't know you, that are trying to figure out what faith is and what you are, Lord, I pray that, that they see you in us and that they, uh, they understand that we're not perfect, God. Father, I thank you for that celebration that you had of me. But Father, I know that it's time for us to celebrate others. Lord, you are beautiful and we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.